0: hi everyone welcome back to the fifth episode of minute women podcast my name is grace and i'm linnea
1: and we're here to share some more history knowledge. I'm here to be amazed by all of Grace's, you know, all of her information about history.
0: Shut up, Grace. Thank you. No, I'm just flattered. <laughs> I'm glad that things are going so well. They're
1: going so well. I have so many fun things to tell people.
0: Yeah, you, lots of new trivia knowledge. Yep, I love it. Yeah. My goal, the ultimate goal of this yes. podcast is to just turn you into like the best trivia team member. For like, a history-related teams podcasts. are gonna like scout you out. Oh, I They're love that. They're gonna want you on their teams. I love that. Yeah, just just here to be a little trivia life coach. <laughs> That's excellent. So what am I learning about today? Okay, so hold on. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? <laughs> Shake, it, ready. Out. Shake <laughs> it out. Shake it out. Loosey goosey. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, mm-hmm. so today we are doing. Dr. Penfield yes. and his work on epilepsy. I <laughs> smell burnt toast. Doctor, I smell burnt toast. smell burnt toast. Which I think that one's definitely one of the more iconic lines. Oh, like, yes. Like if you had to boil a minute down to just one line, yeah. I think that one might be top. That mm. one or like Johnson Sir Molly Johnson.
1: Oh, I was going to say acknowledge. Or acknowledge.
0: That's like one word. That is just one word. Yeah. Come on. Vince, come on. But, well, that's for another time. Yeah, that's, that's for, for another, another time. time.
1: But I smell burnt toast. Doctor, doctor, doctor. I don't know if we should do accents. I just.
0: Yeah, I didn't... They don't really explain her background, because I don't think... Because, yeah. I mean, it's in Montreal, but I don't think she's French. She did not seem French. She doesn't seem French. She definitely has an accent of some kind. And I love yeah. rewatching that one, because, I mean, as a kid, I didn't know what was happening.
1: No, like girl's brain know. was just on the table.
0: Yeah, it's gory. Mm. I was scared. I didn't like that one. No. And also... So, that it like, it's kind of split between, like, half of the time you're in, like, the surgery gallery mm-hmm. watching, like, the surgery take place. And she's, like, awake, which is a yeah. real thing. Like, yeah. that's actually how the Still surgery gets done. Still real
1: today, yeah. It's,
0: like, horrifying. Anyways, but uh, the front half is her having a seizure in her home. And she's, like, did did someone burn some toast? Do you Do you smell something burning? And her husband... Doesn't care. He's just sitting, reading a newspaper, and he's like, ah, I didn't put anything in the toaster. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But it seems like that's clearly her symptom for seizures. So you think her husband would be like, more aware yeah. for that instead particular just, trigger. Instead of just, you know, reading the paper. Instead of just reading the paper in yeah. the evening. I forgot about reads that. the newspaper in the evening? Yeah. I forgot. a lot that. that is
1: the, that is the like beginning thing. She just like falls down in their
0: home and he yeah. just doesn't care. And the videography is very like, dah, dah. like she like slowly oh, falls yeah. to the ground. Class, and it's early like, 90s, early 90s videography. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and he like runs to her and he's like, you didn't care two seconds ago. <laughs> no, th- well, yeah, okay. So, so this this episode is about uh, I, I all the time I was writing this, I kept calling him Wilder, and then I was like, no, it's Wilder. Okay. Like that's an actual name. Wilder that's is real. not a name. Um, so Wilder Penfield. And so I don't know about you. I didn't know anything about epilepsy going into this. Like I know epilepsy causes seizures. Yeah, but like. I really didn't know anything about it. So I did some background history on the treatment of epilepsy. Okay. So we're going to go through, because I think that'll help us appreciate really how <laughs> far we've come okay, So yeah. in terms of treatment. So I
1: know a bit about epilepsy these days. Um, like I've worked in programs with like kids a lot and oh, especially okay. kids um, and adults with mental and physical like cognitive disabilities and okay. such. So like I, I know a little bit about epilepsy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but I don't know a lot about the history of epilepsy.
0: Yeah, so like... So I'd love to learn more. So, yeah, like, just hop on the epilepsy train. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to learn all about it. You're going to learn today. (laughs) You're going to learn today. Okay, so according to the Epilepsy Foundation, epilepsy is a chronic neurological disorder, the hallmark of which is recurrent unprovoked seizures. Epilepsy is a spectrum condition with a wide range of seizure types and control varying from person to person. So that's the thing like I didn't know. Like I thought I didn't think it was something like cancer where like, you know, like you can't just cure cancer because like breast cancer is different from like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like lung cancer. So you can't treat them the same way. Didn't realize epilepsy was in the similar like realm of things. Um, It can often cause or is connected to other disorders or conditions. Epilepsy is the fourth most common neurological disorder in the world. Although the symptoms of a seizure may affect any part of the body, the electrical events that produce the symptoms always occur in the brain. Mm-hmm. The seizures in epilepsy may be related to a brain injury or a family tendency, but often the cause is completely unknown. Now, yeah, so like, so I feel like to fully appreciate how we get from point A to point B. We're going to we're going to go down memory lane all the way back to. uh Prehistory.
1: Yeah do you uh, <laughs> do you remember those concerned children's advertising commercials that were on? There was like the TV that was like I'm just a TV and you oh, gotta get yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. There was one that they did about. that could be like a spin
0: off. I know, but there yeah, future
1: spin off podcast. Ideas.
0: Don't take our ideas trademark. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was one that they did about a kid having a seizure who was epileptic, um, and they were like. And it was all the wrong things to do and all the right things. So the one kid was like, "Oh yeah, put this spoon in his mouth." And the girl's like, "No, don't do that. Like, he could like bite down on it because there used to be like stuff about like you could bite your your tongue off. So it's like, so it was teaching kids how to um, like treat and help a kid like on the playground if they had an epileptic seizure. Interesting, Um,
0: Which is interesting. I feel like that's kind of like something that TV thinks is gonna be a big part of your life. And I just like I've never seen someone have a seizure. Okay. I know I know a few people with epilepsy. Yeah. But I guess they just treat it effectively enough that I've never yeah. seen them have a seizure. I've seen
1: I've seen two people have seizures. Okay. A kid. In, I guess you work with people that. Well, happen, I saw no. a kid in the pool during swimming lessons who Ooh. we didn't know had seizures. Bad time. Um, to have a seizure. <laughs> actually, the best time because you can really elevate them and support them. You get everybody out of the pool and you just kind of like um, grip them and hold oh. and hold them okay. and then you wait the seizure out, and then. Uh, a girl I was in law class in grade 12 with, uh, she had a seizure in class. Oh, wow. Uh, actually from hitting a nerve. So she like ooh. hit her funny bone really, really hard. So I know. So I have a big fear of funny bones that now. That could cause a seizure? Yeah. So she hit it really hard. And then she kind of like everybody at the table was like, ooh, like, you know, those old school, like those yeah. metal desks. She hit it and we were all like, ooh. And she like put her head down <gasps> like on the table. And we were like, oh, like, like that really sucks. Like rubbing her back and stuff. And then she just, like, dropped off her seat and was, like, having a full seizure.
0: Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. I am going to wear, like, elbow pads yeah. the rest of my life. So
1: one time I was... going to um,
0: be a roller derby.
1: One time I was uh, partaking in some beverages. and uh, <laughs> I hit We my, won't say what kind. I hit my elbow and I had a full... I started crying and my <laughs> friends were like, what's going on? This was, like, in university. They didn't know this story. And I'm like, I don't want to have a seizure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just like
1: they're just like I, I, They're like I don't know what's happening. You hit your elbow. You're fine. Oh, I just don't want to have a seizure. <laughs> I just Don't want to have a seizure. But anyway, anyway, moving oh, along, moving right along. Tell me about epilepsy.
0: So epilepsy comes from uh, a Greek word meaning to seize or to attack. Epilepsy, oh. therefore, means seizure or to seize. The origin of this name may relate to the turn of phrase that an illness seizes someone. So yeah. a very like general notion of like disease and illness that it's just like seizing someone they don't know what it is or it may go back even further to the notion that an illness was the result of gods or demons seizing someone and attacking them with magic as documented in ancient Babylonian medicine oh Babylonian medicine uh, they've always been there <laughs> as I was going through this I was like so we're going to get to a point that's like Hammurabi's Cove and uh, I was like Harambe's Code." I was like no <laughs> The internet has destroyed my brain. It is probable that epilepsy affected prehistoric man with some of the possible cures documented in ancient human remains. Mm. It is possible it would have been treated with something called trephining or trephining, a surgical intervention where a hole is drilled, incised, or scraped into the skull using simple surgical tools. So that's found in a lot of like human skull remains, which is great. Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, The earliest. A written account of epilepsy, however, comes from the Akkadian people, but it's not Akkadian like uh, here. It's A-K-K-A-D-I-A-N. So it might be Uh, Akkadian or something. I may not be pronouncing it correctly. So the author of the document described a patient with symptoms resembling epilepsy. So he says, his neck turns to the left, his hands and feet are tense, and his eyes wide open, and his mouth throffs. Froth is flowing without his having any consciousness.
1: What a tongue twister. What a tongue twister. Froth is flowing. Froth
0: is flowing. (laughs) The exerciser diagnosed the condition as something called antasubu, probably saying that wrong, which translates to the hand of sin. Oh. Brought about by the god of the moon. So this is something interesting. So the the lunar side of epileptic treatment, so some kind of connection between epilepsy and the moon, would remain part of the medical world well into the medieval period. Epilepsy is also mentioned in one of the oldest Babylonian uh, medical texts, the Saiku. It's also mentioned in Amurabi's Code, which it's mentioned as if you sell a slave and they have epilepsy, that is a valid reason to return them. Huh, great. And uh, the... Karaka Samhita Sutra, which is a 6th century uh, BC Indian medical guide. Okay. So epilepsy's been around for a long time. Yeah. All over the world. All over the world. It's everywhere. <laughs> the following, uh, so the following comes from an article titled, The Hallmarks in History of Epilepsy, Epilepsy in Antiquity. Mm. Within ancient Greek medicine, it was also believed that epilepsy was a disease of divine origin. In his work, Lithica, Greek philosopher Orpheus described the vengeance of Mene, goddess of the moon, on those with epilepsy. To prove them sufferers from the sacred ill, for quickly will they bend and Forwards tilt as earth it draws them, smear by froth. Always froth. This sounds like a like witch's talk. It, I this know. is like double, double trouble, <laughs> <and> Troubles. <laughs> a little Macbeth. Like Which I mean, this would obviously be an ancient Greek. So it's someone translating it to English and they're like, Oof. we're going to go, like, yeah. we're going to go ooky spooky with yeah. this one. Um, Hither and thither will they turn oh, no. and wallow <laughs> on the ground filled with anger towards them, she laughs to see their woe. Mene this is, the horrid and swift. This is not real. <laughs> That's medicine. <laughs> 2,000 years ago.
1: Oh, boy. So, Epilepsy... Homer's was, just like... <laughs> Homer just recites this. Like, you know, he's not onto the Odyssey yet. <laughs> yeah. He's just in the park. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. In the parking lot. <laughs> um... <sighs> Epilepsy was considered divine punishment for sinners. Oh, whoa! So, so Artemis, they called her Artemide in this article, but I always knew her as Artemis. Yeah, is Apollo's sister and the goddess of hunting and virginity, and is also a lunar goddess. Her vengeance against young women, particularly after childbirth, was epilepsy and sudden death, particularly of uh, young women, especially. So according to Hippocrates, women who are suffering from epilepsy should cure it by bringing offering, like offerings to Artemis. Generally, however, epilepsy could be attributed to a great many gods. Depending on the type of seizures, the Greeks would diagnose this as punishment from a different god. For example, as if the symptoms if the symptoms included teeth gnashing or convulsions on the right side, then epilepsy was attributed to Sibylli. However, Poseidon was to blame if the patient screamed like a horse. Whoa. <laughs> so what I think think most people know about greek medicine is the division of health into four humors yeah so that's something that like exists for a really long time in like western medicine yeah epilepsy was considered a disease of genius because aristotle stated epileptics have black bile in excess as have geniuses who are prone to become melancholic by black bile. So it's a black bile disease of the four humors. Oh, the Greeks. Oh, the Greeks. It's all, it's about... all Greek to me. <laughs> it all comes down to four liquids in your body, black bile being one of them. Oh my! If only life were so simple. <laughs> only it was that easy. If only it that easy for a girl in the modern world. <laughs> So during the Roman period, the proceedings of the Senate were interrupted or postponed whenever a senator was struck by epilepsy during a session because epilepsy was considered a bad sign from the gods. For that reason, the Romans called epilepsy Morbus Committalis, sure, because an epileptic attack tended to spoil the day of the *comitia*, so the assembly of the people. Right. So they just call it, it's like, yeah. what a ruiner. But it's like, like no sympathy.
1: I know people have epilepsy. I don't think of it being as like that many people have epilepsy that it's gonna affect like general meetings day to day. Like that sounds like a lot of people have epilepsy. That sounds yeah. like something in the water.
0: There was Romans are all lead poisoned. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe Which it's probably lead was poison. that. <laughs> I wonder if there was increased rates of epilepsy in Rome because it kind of kinda sounds like water. There were. Yeah. And they have no sympathy for it. They're like, oh, God, this dude ruined the comedia again. Annoying. Annoying. So self-centered. So Hippocrates, the legend medicine guy, the Mm -hmm. guy who's got the Hippocratic Oath and everything like that, was the first to dispute the divine origin of epilepsy. He was the first to attribute the disease to some kind of dysfunction in the brain. He also believed hereditary, like your birth line, played a big role in the disorder developing. Is that true? I think there is some, some like, sense that it can be passed on from person to person, right. but I, I don't know, like, what spectrum of epilepsy we're talking about in okay. that way. Because, I mean, it says earlier on, it's like, usually nobody knows the origin. Like, you can't predict when epilepsy is going to affect someone. Okay. Philosophers Plato and Aristotle also discussed epilepsy. So we have, like all the top dogs of Greek philosophy talking about epilepsy now. Aristotle, for example, believed that when manifested early in youth, epilepsy led to a mental state resembling the stupor of extreme drunkenness. Hmm. In his treatise on sleep and waking, Aristotle compared epilepsy with sleep by stating sleep is similar to epilepsy, and in some way, sleep is epilepsy. No. <laughs> um. I'd, when I see someone with Epilepsy, and they're having a seizure. I'm like, oh, it's just a nap. Yeah.
1: Like well, you're just going to see.
0: You must feel so relaxed right now. I'm so tired. <laughs> you're all clenched up. And... <laughs> you seem really tense. You should just have a seizure. <laughs> <You should> just... <laughs> he believes uh. that food produces uh, evaporations in the veins, which initially rises upward and then descends again. So, He believes that there's some kind of vapors in your blood, and that's what's causing the seizure. Like, we can't be right all the time. Yeah. You know, Aristotle got so much right. Let's just remember, dude's dead. So, R.I.P. Aristotle, good try on seizures. (laughs) As is often the case with men and women. Yes. Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead now. However, because Aristotle and his work were so revered, especially by the Catholic Church, his theories about evaporation... Back to the Catholics. (laughs) They always come back. (laughs) They're the root cause of all evil in this world. Don't tell my mom that. But, I mean, <laughs> Sorry, Catherine. Don't tell my church that. I'm probably going to have to go to church this weekend. <laughs> <But I go laughs> Repent your sins. <laughs> I mean, I go to church every weekend. Mom. <laughs> so because he's so revered by the Catholic Church, his theories about evaporation would remain mainstream for centuries. Therapeutic procedures for epilepsy during this period were characterized by uniformity and are based mainly on diet instructions. So, if you have epilepsy they're going to treat it through like you should eat this instead of this. Okay. So special diets included lamb, young male goats. I thought it was just young pigs. males. <laughs> I'm just going to end there. The Greeks. <laughs> and dogs. Um oh. however because it's the past, some of the remedies were more dubious, like shaving heads, rubbing <laughs> vinegar poultices on your head, and holding your breath. <laughs> oh, you
1: you you think you're gonna have a seizure? Quick, hold your breath. Just just hold your breath. Just just just
0: <laughs> <laughs> But it gets worse, as always. <laughs> it gets worse. It was also ju- suggested that body parts. Be compressed and rubbed with various substances, including the genitals of seals, oh, as well as no. the cauterization and incision of those body parts. Bleeding. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> so they're going to rub you with weird stuff and then they're going to like bleed you out and cauterize it. Thumbs up. <laughs> bleed. Seal genitals? I know. I don't know where they're getting seals. I was supposed to say where are they getting all these seals? There must be seals in the Mediterranean. I just never thought about it. Bleeding at the elbow and the forehead, cupping, cutting of arteries, cauterization of the skull, and provocation of vomiting were all recommended too. So epilepsy, (laughs) not great. This sounds awful. Those are all the things I don't want done to my body. It's gonna get worse. (laughs) During the Middle Ages, little was added to the physiological understanding of epilepsy in the West. Philosophy valued the theories of the ancient Greeks and Romans over exploring new theories. So many of the practices were based on the same theories of the four humors and vapors. So it was observed in the brains of people with epilepsy that there was some kind of like excess of fluid. Because brains have fluid in them. But I guess... To them, there was just too much of the fluid. Therefore, it was thought when vapors reached the brain, they condensed and were subsequently precipitated, thus obstructing and hindering the passage of animal spirits. Why animal spirits? I could not find out. Okay. But apparently animal spirits, they got to get out. They got to run around. And these vapors, (laughs) don't let them do that. Okay. And then you have a seizure. Okay. So physicians did start to branch out from philosophies of like humors and vapors there was some belief that there was something physiologically wrong with the brain so they're compressing ding, ding, it in a weird uh, way <laughs> that there might be fractures in the skull okay. um, that accompany that were co- accompanied by severe pain yeah. um, but because it's the past doctors also needed to blame women for epilepsy <laughs> Most, of course, <laughs> most physicians knew that epilepsy was potentially hereditary, but without an understanding of genetics, it was not sure why there was a connection between parentage and epilepsy. Therefore, they assumed it had to do something with how the child was conceived. Of course. So, if a child was conceived during menstruation, then that's why the child had epilepsy. I just, you know, you like it's like two step forwards, one step one back. Step back. <laughs> Mm. There were some like improvements made during the Renaissance, particularly in connecting seizures to other disorders, particularly syphilis, which was rampant during the Renaissance. But it was still believed that theories about the four humors were the prevailing reasons why epilepsy was. Hmm. Some kind of imbalance in right. your four humors was the reason that epilepsy was taking place. However, they did start to isolate the disease taking place in the brain. That's more. good. Yeah, that's so a start. We're getting closer. It's been about two thousand years, but we're getting there. We're getting, we're getting there. So by the time of the Enlightenment, you'd think epilepsy was a little bit better understood. This was the time when scientific method is really starting to come to the fore. But nope, uh, the majority of You know why? It's all men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's our stance of the Men and Women podcast. <laughs> The majority of physicians during the second half of the 17th century and a great number of them in the first half of the 18th century did not exclude the infliction of epilepsy by devils and by witches. Oh, dear. The influence of the moon upon epilepsy was now taken as an established fact until the end of the 17th century. The physical influence of celestial bodies upon the Earth had been confirmed by Newtonian physics, especially by the law of gravity and the lunar explanation for the tides. Uh-huh. Even the more enlightened physicians, like Richard Mead, now saw a possibility for satisfactory explanation of the connection between the moon and epilepsy. Oh,
1: Richard Mead. (laughs) Letting himself go.
0: He gave various examples of epileptic attacks occurring regularly at certain constellations of the moon the moon he thought exerted its power above all the animal spirits i don't know what these animal spirits are that they keep coming back to but I, like like it would totally make
1: sense if they were like talking about werewolves
0: which sounds wild <laughs> this is twilight <laughs> which sounds
1: wild but if you think about it like think about every movie book you've ever read that's involved a werewolf scene
0: that's they're true they're kind of
1: going through an epileptic seizure
0: that's a good point actually i hadn't thought of that if you think and you think about it like
1: lock the werewolf away so they can go through their little thing.
0: <laughs> so they can have their moment. Yeah. Like poor <laughs> Professor Lupin. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah? Like, yeah.
0: sad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was also now claimed that the disease could be caused by masturbation. For more than <laughs> half... Of, yeah, we're, uh. we're jumping in the deep end now. Uh, for more than a century and a half, masturbation figured as one of the main causes of epilepsy in medical literature. The superstition reached its climax, wink, when <laughs> castration was proposed as a cure. No. However, uh, by oh the 19th century, the field of medicine began to create our modern understanding of epilepsy that situated the root of the disease permanently in the brain.
1: So we just had a bunch of, like, Munichs running around having... <laughs> you mean Munichs? <laughs> People from Munich running around. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's our, that sidebar minute women <laughs> listeners i have a problem with some words that i
0: <laughs> eunuchs being one of them <laughs> eunuchs you now being problems one of with them words. this uh, whole episode is me lisping through the word epilepsy that's
1: okay i for a very long time i'll let you know a little secret oh my god i thought that no grace
0: knows minute this. women exclusive i
1: thought that <laughs> I, I thought that yosemite <laughs> was like the park <laughs> was pronounced yosemite <laughs> it's
0: like vegemite and yosemite but it makes sense look at the word i think we should like pick one so if you're gonna have vegemite it has to be yosemite if you're gonna have yosemite it has to be Vegemiti. Uh,
1: don't even get me started on the english language man
0: like <laughs> whole, whole podcast. other
1: podcast <laughs> all right so continue
0: So during the 19th century, they began to determine different symptoms that were related to the place in the brain that was being affected. So they start, like, zoning the brain. It was into this new understanding of epilepsy that Dr. Penfield studied during the early 20th century. We have reached our hero. And I will say, cool dude.
1: Is he, is he a, a hero? Cool is he a worthy he's a badass. hero?
0: He's a worthy hero. He's worthy of this heritage minute. Love that. Actually, I think they could have done something way cooler with it. Oh, like, excellent. I like this guy. Cool. So Wilder Penfield was born to Dr. Charles and Jean Penfield in Spokane, Washington in Aww. 1891. That is one thing. He's not Canadian. <laughs> he's like born in the States. He does get Canadian citizenship later. Oh, we'll, we'll get into That's that. Good. But not Canadian. Wilder had one sister and one brother. Spokane was largely a mining town. In the biography of Penfield named Something Hidden, Spokane was described as such. The sidewalks were made of wood, and during the winter, the streetcars which clanged past the mansions had straw scattered on the floor to keep the passengers' feet warm. The more staid and respectable citizens, the minister, the leading bankers, the lawyers, and the practitioners of the more prestigious trades, coexisted peacefully with the prospectors, confidence men, gamblers, and prostitutes. Oh, those prostitutes (laughs) just sneaking their way in there. It was to the first group that Charles and Jean gravitated. So Charles (laughs) and Jean are like... They're in the good they're in good company. Not in gamblers Spokane. and prostitutes. They're they you know, they they coexist peacefully. That's good. But they're not among them. Yeah. So the marriage was not a happy one. Charles was known to have affairs with other women who are often his patients and bought them expensive gifts. One time the husband of one of his lovers, ugh, I hate that word so much, but lovers. you just gotta use it. <laughs> arrived at the house. He did not have any satisfactory answer for the exchange to Jean. So Jean is sees this go down and she's like why is this man yelling at you at our house Jean once confessed to wilder that the couple had not been happy since a trip they had taken to cordeline mountains which had taken place a year before wilder was born (laughs) like we haven't been happy since you were born. it's your fault wilder once recalled stealing along our hall once to my mother's door and listening at the keyhole to her crying and speaking to herself Despite this, Wilder remembered his childhood fondly and felt both of his parents were loving and caring, though perhaps his mother was more present in his life during this time. Sounds
1: like a little bit of a mama's boy.
0: Oh, she, oh, it's going to go down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> major, okay. major mama's boy. I don't know if by choice. All right. Sorry, I get excited when I know things are going somewhere. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm buckled in. The family was fond of the outdoors and would regularly camp, though Charles particularly loved it. Charles loved to hunt and would often abandon his patients at the hospital to go to the woods with local guides. There was no suggestion that the hunting trips were a way to avoid the more complicated issues troubling the marriage or were connected to the female patients and their husbands. But whatever the reason for his hunting trips, it meant he was less and less present in Wilder's life. In 1899, after 18 years of marriage, Jean decided to take the children back to Hudson, Wisconsin, where she had originally lived with her parents. Charles Good for her. You go, Jean. She's packing up. She's, she's leaving. She's done. Charles saw them off to the train station, bringing Aww. Wilder a compass. So when the family arrived in Wisconsin, it seems Jean's mission became to establish Wilder as a successful young man. She poured all her energy into making him a success, going as far as founding a small private school for boys that Wilder attended that was called Galahad School. Jean and Wilder eventually would live in the school full time.
1: She sounds like an awesome lady.
0: Yeah, she's got like one mission though. Oh, so okay. Jean's primary objective is to prepare Wilder Wilder to be the perfect candidate for the Rhodes Scholarship, which was a newly founded scholarship oh. in nineteen oh two.
1: Still exists today. Still exists today. Mothers are still <laughs> mothers are still pruning their young boys.
0: Pruning and pruning to, to make sure. win that Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> He recalled his mother telling him the Rhodes Scholarship, which, which gave American and Commonwealth students the opportunity to study at Oxford University in England, uh, was just the thing for you. <laughs> the Rhodes Scholarship demands not only superb academic performance, but all-around aptitude. Gene mm-hmm. had to become an all-around scholar and athlete. The fact that... That my mind was really that of a plotter, Wilder recalled, (laughs) and that my gangly body was slow and awkward would be, it seemed, no obstacle whatsoever. (laughs) He's a funny guy. I love Wilder. (laughs) He's just like, I was not great. (laughs) But I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. I like to make my mama happy. (laughs) So this sounds like a whole lot of false modesty because Wilder managed to get accepted to Princeton University. Hmm. Princeton was selected because the Rhodes Scholarship was awarded on a state-to-state basis, and Princeton was located in the small state of New Jersey, so it gave him the best chance to get the Rhodes Scholarship.
1: His mom, like, has a plan.
0: Everything in his life is just so he can get this scholarship. Whoa. While he was there, he decided to follow in the steps of his grandfather and father and started studying medicine. However, Wilder credited his biology professor Edward Conklin for the inspiration and taking interest as well as his visit to a surgical gallery in the New York Presbyterian Hospital. So, he's following in his father's step- footsteps, but he's like very clear like that's not the reason I became a doctor though. It's right. because of this this professor and being interested in surgery. Cool. Wilder was also fulfilling the athletic requirements of the Rhodes Scholarship by playing football for the Princeton Tigers. And he was eventually their head coach, during which time they went five and two and one. So pretty good.
1: So if you can't play coach, that was his he's like, Gotta play to get the scholarship. So when I don't have to do it anymore, I'll <laughs> coach. Okay.
0: Yeah, and so at this point, I think I'm probably going to lose, like, all my credibility as a historian (laughs) and as a, like, bipartisan person when studying history. Full disclosure. Because full disclosure, Dr. Penfield was, like, a hunk.
1: Okay. Like, he's really, I I have a picture. Okay, let me look at the picture. I've never seen this picture before. This is the picture
0: off Wikipedia, so you can just find it. Oh, my gosh. He's, like, pretty good looking. Also, look at his hands. They're massive. Oh, How do you yeah. perform delicate brain surgery with hands look the size of shoulders. flying hands? Look at his look at his pet. Mark is leaning in. Mark <laughs> is interested. He's got like cheekbones that could like cut glass. Yeah, for days. Yeah. Anyways, he's dead. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. So Gene's plan worked out and Wilder received the Rhodes Scholarship. In the great year of 1914, what else happens in 1914, Linnea? War. War. (laughs) What is it good for? Absolutely nothing, especially going to college. Yeah. So he defers. So just tell me. No, just let me (laughs)
1: tell. This guy, he has the body. He has the (laughs) brains.
0: (laughs) Brains galore, not just his own. He's like, got,
1: he's got athleticism.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's a teacher because he coaches. So he's kind. I bet kind. he's like,
1: I bet
0: he's, he's my history crush. <laughs> he's like, yeah,
1: he's, he's now my history crush. <laughs>
0: this, this podcast is just so I can tell everybody how great and wonderful Dr. Penfield is. Wow. <laughs> so he defers his uh, acceptance initially due to the outbreak of World War One. So he's going to go. He's going to go, but he's deferring. Okay. Um, however, he was encouraged to attend in 1915. So just the following year. Oh, well, I was
1: going to say, he's in America. They, <laughs> what did America do? I mean, the they're war? not
0: fighting. And honestly, like that's a big part of it. No, so really. Despite So despite the ongoing conflict, he was encouraged to go because all of the British students at Oxford were enlisted and fighting. <laughs> so the yeah. American students were receiving a lot of special attention during yeah. this time. However, he did arrange to be in Europe for as little time as possible, taking only one year of the required three at Oxford, and then he arranged to have the rest taught at John Hopkins back in America. So he's still on the Rhodes Scholarship, and he's still receiving Oxford education, but he manages to get it taught in America for the vast majority of the time. Right. While on his Rhodes Scholarship, Wilder volunteered during the summer of 1915 at a French military hospital. (sighs) Uh, in the suburbs of Paris. Returning to volunteer again in March in 1916, Wilder suffered a broken leg when a German U-boat torpedoed his ship, the SS Sussex. Whoa. That's a great thing to say on a podcast. SS Sussex. SS Sussex. So he was initially sent to the military hospital at Dover, and during his recovery period, Wilder spent most of his time being cared for by the Ostlers, his mentor at Oxford, oh. uh, at their Oxford residence. Because
1: he had some long begotten daddy issues. <laughs>
0: You think that's what it is? I think that might be what it is. He does seem to like like his professors. Well, his a lot.
1: dad wasn't there, and his dad was out, you know, hunting and being a man, and you know, with all the ladies. Yeah, so it would needs-
0: be a little weird if like that was your only experience with like physician-patient relations. Right. You're like, I don't know if I want to be a doctor. There's a lot of women
1: that I got to take home. Right? So, you know, it's probably good for him to have some positive male influences in his life.
0: Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. I think, I think, and it's also like, he says that he doesn't want to be in Europe it doesn't say specifically why. I don't know if it's because he's homesick. Because it doesn't seem like it's because he's scared of the war. Yeah, like he's constantly going to like volunteer near the front, and he yeah. boat gets attacked by a German U boat. Like, the dude's cool. The dude's a badass. He probably I like him. He probably a lot. adopts
1: kittens. He seems like
0: that type of guy. <laughs> Absolutely, in his giant frying pan hands, he, <laughs> he can hold like five kittens. Holds baby kittens. <laughs> So over the next few years, Wilder split his time between the States and Europe. He eventually married his longtime fiance, Helen Kermit, which is Aww. a cute last name. <laughs> Wilder began to work under Harvey Cushing, who was a talented neurosurgeon. Cushing had just returned from working as a surgeon in France, where among many of his patients, he had helped treat Osler's only son – Revere when the 21 year old was mortally wounded at the Third Battle of Ypres or oh. Passchendaele. So, dead. Uh, I don't think he's dead. But mortally he, wounded? He's mortally wounded. I, I think you would say he's fatally wounded. Right. Uh, okay. I don't All know right. if mortally mo- wounded means you die. Maybe it just means it's like a life or death situation. Huh. Okay. I don't know. But maybe. But regardless, his new mentor treated his previous mentor's son at the front. So they're
1: all connected. They're all connected. Networking. Networking.
0: Yeah, exactly. While Cushing was a highly talented brain surgeon and was legitimizing the field of neurosurgery, Wilder Penfield saw potential to grow and combine neurosurgery with neuropathology, neuroautonomy, neurocytology, and clinical neurology so that he would be able to do basic research, conduct lab tests, diagnose patients, and operate. So he has like a far more holistic view of neuro okay, medicine. Because those
1: words were just a
0: lot for me. There's a lot of neuro words yeah, and they all go over my just head. way over my head. <laughs> Get Little
1: it. old me. Get it? No I don't. Okay. Oh because it's <laughs> neuro. <in a>
0: <laughs> so at this uh-huh. point all of these neuro fields are considered separate fields of medicine but Penfield recognized that you could integrate all of these things into one field and that would create More rapid and complete understandings of the brain. I like this guy already. Yeah, he like sees things, and this like he's just so cool. He's so cool. He's so cool. So handsome. He's so handsome. (laughs) He plays football. I love football. (laughs) You do love football. I do love love football. So surgery was also still extremely dangerous and it had very low success rates. And one of Penfield's primary objectives was to change that. So he wanted it to be less dangerous and he wanted it to have higher success rates. During his early career, Penfield attempted to discover the source of epileptic attacks, building upon work on soldiers from the First World War who had suffered head injuries, many of whom developed epilepsy. So there's kind of like a... a, A spur of motivation to understand epilepsy at this time because you suddenly have a huge sect of society that has severe brain trauma and those people tend to get epilepsy more frequently than other people. And
1: instead of burrowing holes into their head and bloodletting. Castrating gonna,
0: them. We're gonna figure something else out. He's gonna try to
1: figure something out. It's not, he's re- realized it's not like the woman's fault. So uh, It might not be the woman's fault. It might not. Maybe. I'm
0: not fully yeah. convinced yet, but you it know, might not we'll, always be <laughs> the woman's fault. So in the laboratory, Penfield found that he lacked the appropriate mice- microscope slide staining techniques to see the tissue cells clearly. So hmm. he can't Actually, analyze the brain tissue that he is sampling from these soldiers that have brain trauma. Right. So, to learn how to do that, he traveled to Spain and he acquired funding from the Rockefellers to establish the necessary labs back in New York.
1: Like the Rockefellers? The
0: Rockefellers. Like
1: Rockettes Rockefellers?
0: Yeah, same people. Like Dancing Girls at Christmas? Like, So this is totally outside the spectrum of this podcast, but like someone should do just a podcast on the Rockefellers. It is insane how involved they are in almost everything taking place in the United States at this time. Money, man.
1: Money. Money makes the world move. Money makes the world move.
0: So he, so the Rockefellers are like, yeah. So yeah, he's in with the Rockefellers and he's like, need some money so I can build a brain lab. And they're like, hundo P, we got you. (laughs) We got you, bud. In 1927, Penfield was invited by McGill Professor of Surgery and Surgical Chief at the Royal Victoria Hospital, Edward Archibald, to take over neurosurgery surgery at the RVH, which would also include an appointment at McGill. So in 1927, they're like scouting him out. Like they're like Canada we want McGill? you. Yes, Canada oh, McGill cool. University is like we want you to not only be the chief of surgery at our hospital, but we want you to teach at McGill. Of
1: course they do. Yeah, of
0: course. Uh, Penfield accepted on a few conditions that would allow him to continue his research in Montreal. And before arriving in 1928, he took his family, which now included himself, his wife, and their four children, who are all under the age of 10, on a six-month trip through Europe, which Wilder used to connect with doctors and continue his research. So he's like, before I come to Montreal... Road trip, we're going through <laughs> Europe, we're going to backpack through Europe, me, <laughs> me and my small me children. Me, the wife, and
1: the babes. Yeah. That would have been like your mom and dad if they decided to take you and the siblings. Yeah. Would you have been all under 10 at one point?
0: Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, no. So not like you guys. Not quite. Close, though. My older brother would have been, like, 11 when my youngest brother was oh, born. Okay. So pretty close. So pretty you, you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> they also would never have taken us on a six-month trip That sounds wild. I think my parents would die. They'd just be <laughs> like, oh, God, what have we done? What have we done? So once arriving in Montreal, Penfield recognized that the developments occurring in the field were happening at a pace that he alone could not manage. Therefore, to continue his research, he quickly proposed that the Montreal Neurological Institute be founded. And this would allow him to increase the number of people that he could employ. And in terms of creating successful treatments, they could be rolled out at a much quicker pace. Right. By 1933, Penfield had garnered the support from McGill, the RVF, and the Rockefellers to construct the institute. The MNI, so the Montreal Neurological Institute, promoted the holistic research of neurology, neurosurgery, neurocytology, and neurophysiology. <laughs> the following year, Penfield became a Canadian citizen. Oh, yay. yay. Penfield leveraged, yeah, we're, we're getting into the Canadian stuff. Love it. <laughs> you
1: know, he's already in Montreal, he's already at McGill. And he's already
0: in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Penfield leveraged the outbreak of World War II to launch research into causes of and potential remedies for pilot blackouts at high altitudes, seasickness, the safe transport of patients with head wounds at high altitudes, and... This is all important research. I know! He's, like, a good person. This isn't,
1: like, uh, do women on their periods cause (laughs) epilepsy? This is, like... like,
0: Have you guys considered...
1: like legitimate and it might be her fault. Yeah. <laughs> like this is like oh yeah, let's not transport people at high altitude. This this man.
0: I know. And he's just like yeah, and he's like there's a war happening. We should help these people. And now he's a Canadian. And now he's a Canadian. Gosh. He also used this time to research the effect of newly developed antibiotics on the brain, which is also good. Important. In addition, Penfield undertook a report for the National Research Council on the surgical treatment of war wounds and studied how the Canadian Medical Corps dealt with head wounds, eventually writing a military manual on the subject in 1941. So his manual was like the main manual for the Canadian military during this time, dealing with head injuries. So yeah.
1: He was once...
0: Smart cookie. Smart
1: cookie. Yeah.
0: After the war, Penfield continued his research. He teamed up with Herbert Jasper to, I don't know if that's specifically how it's said. It might be Jasper or Jesper, but. Oh, like if it's more French? If it's like Dutch or something. Oh, it's Dutch. Um, I'd assume, but anyways. So he teamed up with Herbert to conduct research into the source of epileptic seizures. Okay. Together, they would thoroughly describe the patterns of epileptic seizures and create amazing maps of the brain. Jasper arrived to the MNI in 1938 and introduced Penfield to the concept of using, this is the longest word I've ever had to say on the podcast, electroencephalography. Uh, also known as an EEG. Oh, okay. To locate the origin, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh, I know that. <laughs> to locate the origin of follicle epileptic seizures. Mm-hmm. Follicle epilepsy is the neurological condition in which the predominant symptom is recurring seizures that affect one hemisphere or one half of the brain.
1: Right. Which is why you go like numb on one side of your body.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there's different kinds of epilepsy as we've talked about before, but particularly his research is into the kind that just impacts one hemisphere of the brain, or at least at this time it is. A series of electrodes were attached to the skull. Then an EEG was used to measure the electrical output of different regions of the brain. Abnormal brain tissue would give off abnormal brain waves, and then you could differentiate it between healthy tissue Mm -hmm. and unhealthy tissue. Uh, And this allows neurosurgeons to just target the removal of unhealthy tissue. So it essentially, like, you can't see by looking at the brain... What tissue is malfunctioning? So they use the EEG to figure that out and then they remove it. Right. Which is what you see in the Heritage Minute. So that's when yeah. he's like probing the brain with this little electrode and she's like awake she's like, during that time. She's just like chilling. Yeah. She's a no. Well, that's part of it too is like uh, they have to use they have to really develop localized anesthetics to make that surgery work Uh, because you need them to respond (laughs) and (laughs) And also not be screaming in pain. not be in
1: excruciating (laughs) pain because their head is cut open.
0: (laughs) It's a fine line. It's just a fine line. (laughs) Medicine, complicated, it turns out. Yeah, really tricky. (laughs) So additionally, using an EEG and a mild electrical probing of the brain, Penfield advanced the mapping of the brain, particularly the temporal lobe, which was the source of a large portion of patients' epileptic seizures. So mm-hmm. apparently, most seizures take place in the temporal lobe. So huh. I didn't, I didn't know that before. Um, now you do. Now I do. The more you we're know. all learning. <laughs> Penfield came to understand the temporal lobe played a central role in memory, memory recall, emotions, language, as well as auditory and visual functions. Penfield and his team's research using EEGs resulted in the creation of the Montreal procedure, which they show in the Heritage Minute, and involved removing a portion of the temporal lobe to stop seizures. The surgery right. required. Is
1: this still kosher today?
0: Call it, it like that procedure. Like, do we still do that? Like, remove. I think parts? so. Like, that's
1: like that's not like lobotomy esque
0: right? <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think like lobotomy is you're like severing connections between yeah. the the temporal lobe or the the two halves of the brain which I think they still sometimes do I'm now not speaking as an expert in any regard Uh but I think we are
1: not doctors we're
0: not doctors we're not experts yeah we're just people with microphones yeah (laughs) keep that in mind (laughs) but I like I'm pretty sure that sometimes they will still do that and your brain can can learn to adapt without the other half of the brain like i'm pretty sure that there have been surgeries where they remove like half a person's brain and the other half just kind of learns to function without it science is cool yeah and actually there's these really interesting stories where Due to seizures, either they've removed part of the temporal lobe or they sever the connection between the two sides of the brain. I just
1: will let our listeners know that Grace is repeatedly pointing at different areas of her brain.
0: Making it <laughs> seem like she really knows
1: what she's talking it about. Because you
0: know what? <laughs> I know the brain is in my head. Um, so one side of your brain controls your actual like voice and the output of like your decisions and where like your conscious brain is housed okay. apparently but when they sever the connection <laughs> allegedly al- allegedly it might be witchcraft it might be moon gods I don't know but when they sever that connection the other half like half of the body is controlled by that other half of the brain right. and sometimes they'll find like their left hand just doing stuff and yeah. that they can't they're like I didn't tell it to do that but it's almost yeah. like it's like you have two brains operating in your head. This is all... Right. This This is not anything I've researched, though. Well, so take all of this with a grain of salt. I've also...
1: I saw in a documentary or, like, a medical something... Um, and not like a ER. medical. T- no, not like a medical TV show. <laughs> Grays like Grey's anatomy. anatomy. This was like, this is like real people. The person was blind in one eye, but okay. it wasn't an eye issue. It was a brain issue. Oh. So like if you threw an object at them on that side, they could still catch it. What? Because their eye still sees it, but
0: like they can't see.
1: What? Trippy stuff. The brain is crazy. So it
0: would still like react if you tried to like it, swat yes, the something man, by the it. The man
1: would like, yes, he had like the reflexive mechanism to like know. Like he would keep oh. his eye closed and they would throw a ball and he'd be able to catch it. that's insane um just based on like reflex like because he could actually see it but like he couldn't see it
0: that's crazy crazy. no that's insane yeah your body's a wonderland (laughs) John Mayer said it right the first time (laughs) who knew that he was the one that was right all along Um, so uh like I mentioned before the surgery requires the use of a lot of local anesthetic uh, so this is you. Can, so you can keep the patient conscious during the brain surgery, yeah. and they can respond to the electrodes, kind of probing the brain. So like yeah. that's what you see in the Heritage Minute, where she's like, "I smell burnt toast," and they're like, "Oh, that's the symptom that happens before she has a seizure. That's where the bad brain tissue is. It's bad and tissue. And we're just gonna take it out. <laughs> Easy, simple. <laughs> so we're back up. So we're back up." Dr. Wilder Penfield had a long, successful career in Montreal. He performed brain surgery on his own sister, Ruth, who was suffering from brain cancer. And while he was unable to save her life, he did manage to prolong her life by several years. Which is pretty cool. That's got to be a stressful surgery. I don't think they let you do that anymore. No. Uh, Also, though, I mean, like, I'm sure they just let him do whatever. Yeah. He's like, who's going to say no? (laughs) Yeah. They liked him. They liked him a little bit. Uh, he also researched hallucinations, déjà vu, and homunculi, and I believe that you can still—I don't know exactly what the homunculi is. I think it's just like different interpretations of the brain, but they still have Super them on display cool. at the London Museum of National History oh, or like, British Museum of I was National say, like History. England or like Ontario? <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, London, London, yeah. London in England. Sorry, yeah. London, Ontario. <laughs> um, he received the honor of Canada the legion d'honneur and was the only the second Canadian to ever receive Britain's order of merit which is such a British award it's like we're gonna give you the order of Canada and then the order of merit and (laughs) you done it (laughs) and the queen takes her scepter and (laughs) bats with it (laughs) (laughs) she beats the pinata (laughs) (laughs) ferociously where did it go where did it go oh god god save the queen (laughs) my nap (laughs) oh she's taking the royal nap (laughs) it's like a seizure i've been told (laughs) because sleep is like (laughs) epilepsy (laughs) that's what we call a callback ladies and gentlemen (laughs) so he wilder retires in 1960 and he devoted the rest of his life to various enterprises he spoke about the benefit of public education and providing bilingual curriculum specifically how bilingual curriculum is beneficial for the brain. He got right into Canada. I know. He was like,
1: two official languages?
0: Done. Let me do some research. He's like, Spokane? We don't talk about Spokane. (laughs) My dad said goodbye to me at a train station. He gave me a compass. I don't even like the woods. It led me here
1: to the north. To the north. (laughs) To the north.
0: He wrote his autobiography, and also the history of the M I N, and it was entitled "No Man Alone." And he also wrote pieces of fiction. So he wrote a book called "The Torch: A Story of Hippocrates," uh, which was described as a story of love, treachery, and the battle for truth in ancient Greece. Wow! I know. I like. He's a romance novelist. What can't this man I do? Don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I genuinely think he's perfect. Uh, oh, but he's dead. And unfortunately, he did not evade <laughs> death. Uh, Wilder, Dr. Wilder Penfield died oh. in 1976 at the age of 85.
1: Oh, that's like, like a like good life good. for then. Yeah, for back in the day.
0: We're gonna rate people's <laughs> age of death. It's like that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for the 70s. He did. He did well. Yeah. So that's the story of what year epilepsy. Died? Did you say? In 1976. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's the story of. Dr. Wilder Penfield, and oh. as well as just some some fun citational information about how FLFC was treated for two thousand years. Oh, that was a... Yeah. I yeah. Like
1: I've, I, feel like I really learned a lot in that one. Good, that's, yeah. that's great. It was a bit of a roller
0: coaster of emotions too. It's <laughs> like, when are we gonna get to the minute? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, but the <laughs> background information was good it made him sound if anything it
0: made him sound a lot smarter more wise I just want Dr. Wilder Penfield's star to shine as bright as I possibly can <laughs> yeah because this heritage minute was one that I always remembered as a kid and I always remembered it being terrifying yeah like I didn't like doctor shows as a kid no, like they're I-
1: poking at a lady's brain
0: I know and they're like you know it'd be great to air at 5 p.m. <laughs> on the CBC open brain surgery For the children. For the children. They'll love it. They need to learn. There's really like, yeah, you can like put anything on TV as long as it's in a heritage minute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As we've come to know. You got to wonder what wound up on like the the cutting room floor. Like what got left out of these heritage minutes? Well, that's what we're here for. More murder. Murder. (laughs) And like, yeah, I mean, like there was some murder in this one. Not like straight up murder, like not homicide, but war. Yeah. And he almost died Yeah, when his boat got attacked. Oh, yeah. Like, he lived a life.
1: He lived a life.
0: And I'm happy that his Rhodes Scholarship thing panned out. I feel like his life yeah. could have gotten a very, like, because he, he was still, like, doing really well. Like, he yeah. managed to go to Princeton. You got to wonder, like, well, would he have felt, like, not a success if he hadn't gotten the Rhodes Scholarship? Because his right? mom has been telling him from the age of, like, 13, like, <laughs> Wilder, this is what you've been put on this earth to do. Get
1: the Rhodes Scholarship. I feel like his children would still probably be alive.
0: Yeah, I think so. Probably. Yeah. I yeah. I I didn't really read up a then lot about their kids. Doing. I'm gonna.
1: I might do some of my own research. Oh grace. my gosh,
0: we're gonna do some genealogical research. We're gonna track them down. The mentee Ten becomes field the mentor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to do one of. You're gonna have to teach me something. Uh, like one of the minutes at some point. I know nothing. We're gonna flip the script at some point, and you're gonna do all the research. Flip the script. Flip the script, and I'm gonna sit here, and I'm gonna be like amazed so receptive i'm gonna be so happy that you're like look you did it you like did all the (laughs) research Uh,
1: well that's it for today everyone i want to thank you so much for tuning in to another minute
0: women podcast episode uh with linnea and grace so, make sure that you rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to it. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And make sure that you go find our Instagram page at Minute Women Podcast and our Facebook page at Minute Women Podcast to see what we're up to. And
1: don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye.